0: We are in for another episode of AI, 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 I, I. I mean, this is me being very excited because the guest we have today will drop so many use cases on us today, which he has done already with me in a one-on-one conversation, but he has so much to talk about with AI and machine learning because he's an evangelist. He advocates for machine learning and AI, uh, and he does it with that... Uh, positivity of breaking things down for people with logistics, with supply chain, with what's possible, right? Managing that expectation of AI. What do you expect to come for next three years, four years, five years, 10 years down the road, right? Um, Look, this conversation is going to be amazing. I am just super thrilled. With that, Ben, let's make an introduction.
1: Okay. Ay, ay, ay. Word is still. So, right, I'm Ben Taylor. I'm the chief AI strategist for Data IQ, but I've been bouncing around the AI world for, I have to keep adjusting the number, right, because we get older. I think I say 18 years now, machine learning, because um, I, I fell in love with it right away it it's the coolest thing like it's like magic and the potential of this magic keeps expanding and i i like to tell people there's a window of science fiction that anything you think is actually hard science fiction is act- readjusted every couple every couple decades something that you would say can't happen is happening which i think is exciting
0: lucky
2: yeah you're absolutely right you know it it feels like There is some kind of magic in, 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 in AI and, 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 and sometimes like it gives you a feeling like my feeling is, (laughs) but like, okay. So like I look at the small things in life, you know, and then you just think about it in a big way. Um, And so like the little series that we have, the little, the little voices now that are telling us how to manage life. Those are the, the new technologies that make things really different. And really, you know, learning from, from you today, from a subject matter expert, we want to know, I want to know, you know, in, in AI, what, what projects have really changed your perspective that really made you like, wow, this, this stuff here is, is magic? You know, what, what projects have you worked on that really changed your perspective, you know, not lately, but over all your experience, have really changed the way you looked at AI? That something that like, really said, wow, this stuff is magic. Hmm.
1: I I think when I think of magic, it's more some of the the new themes and technologies that are coming out. Like when Docker first came out, when Kubernetes first came out, when deep learning first came out, when it was generators first came out. Which is so funny because when you go back in time and look at the first faces from generators, they were terrible. You're like, I think that's a face. And now, (laughs) now you have these generative art models. Um, I I worked on automatic speech recognition when I was at Higher View. Like so. Speaking and having a computer, being able to consume that, that is super exciting. And then I built maybe the, one of the more impressive specific ones was when I joined HireVue, they had millions and millions of video interviews of people getting jobs at Fortune 100 companies. And so one of the first initiatives, I, I was their chief data scientist for four years. So one of the first initiatives was to build predictive models to predict from a 20-minute video of you interviewing at a large bank or a large airline how did you do on that 20 minute video interview based on everything you said, all the data in the interview. And at the time there were people that didn't think it was possible. It's definitely possible. And I think there is that theme now, if if a human can see it, if a human can do it when it comes to detection, there's a really good chance that AI can as well. AI can be competitive there. There are some examples where AI really struggles compared to people. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I would say the, the, I guess the, the body gestures and, and, and the inflection of the voice and stuff like that. You figured that would be ha- easy or that would be hard. That, you figured, wait a minute, that would be hard to detect, but then you figure with, with sound and then you can, fig- you can see the sound waves. Maybe it is easy to detect and be able to use something like some technology to be able to analyze video. You just really have to break it down. And I think you lean into the feature set. So how how
1: rich is this feature set? If I'm trying to build a predictive model on big five competencies or something, I don't have a lot there. It's it's, it's going to be a weak model. But if I have your raw audio and you speaking and what is what is your cadence? What, what are the keywords that you're saying? How are you delivering that? The The ability for those models to predict well did depend on the size of the data set, the quality of the performance data and the job family so it's much easier to predict a customer facing job than it is to predict a data scientist um it which brings up this theme of how do you evaluate anyone for a job and their different jobs have different competencies or inputs or features and so an engineer that never smiles or is not very friendly and has poor communication can still be a great asset on a team depending on their technical competencies and other things that they can demonstrate through hacker rank or some of these coding assessments. So if you're, uh, we also did analysis on code, which was funny. Um, So we noticed themes during the coding assessment, there were 13 different languages. You can pick whatever you want. Uh, PHP, Python, bash, C C sharp. You pick the language to solve the coding challenge. And there was a, pretty consistent theme if you're using a language that's more up to date you tend to do better so if you intentionally use python uh, 3.6 at the time i forgot versus two that distribution was shifted but the distribution that i'll never forget um this goes back to a sampling error so which language do you think was the most performant like if if you had to pick a language that oh anyone who uses that is a genius um i'm just curious what you would say I'll, i'll tell you the answer but
0: uh r
1: wasn't r it was
0: c plus c plus plus that's my second guess
1: it was bash Bash. so if you decide to tackle a coding challenge in raw bash you're like a legend like (laughs) there weren't very many people so like the i think it was like the five or ten people that decided to use bash they did really 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 well so uh, obviously that isn't um that's not really a valid model if if you decide to select bash and start going it doesn't mean you're going to do well, but that was a funny sampling error.
0: Yeah, the bash bash definitely has some uh, nuance that you have to know about, and um, th- this th- it, it didn't like you know starting with hash and numbering things one, two, and three, four. Uh, is the, is that is that is that the bash one, the one that you have to like number things using one, two, and three, four, and all that? No, is um, a bash more like it's like,
2: like Linux screen. command line. Yeah, yeah a nice command it, line. It, it's like Linux command line. Is that, it's, is that the same one? Is that the same? Yeah, I, I I taught Bash at Divergence, and I, and one of the challenges was you had to you had to sit there and create a Bash script that would scan an entire it would it scan through an iteration of IP addresses, and I, my challenge to the class was who can make it into one line, yeah. <laughs> and and, and it, you're talking about fifteen twenty lines into one line. And I, at the end of the class, I would show everybody how it, what it was. And no one would ever get it because at the end, you would, like he says, you have to be the man to know every single secret command line bash parameter to be able to do things like that. And, and there is ways of doing it. You just got to be old school and you have to really know your way around bash. Yeah.
1: You just reminded me, Lucky, of a, a particular... Uh, Consultant I worked with when I was at it, I worked at a high performance computing hedge fund as a quant, and we brought in these HPC consultants. So they would rewrite all your code to Rakuda or Open OpenMP um, from MATLAB. So they so you'd have things that were very high performant, and then they would just rewrite from scratch. And this particular company, they would not allow their employees to use a mouse pad you had to use all Vim or all Emacs shortcuts for everything. Like they demanded it. And I remember watching this individual program and I can't even keep up with what he, like he's actually editing code, doing code blocks, like slapping them around between screens and different things. And um, I would love to tell you that I'm that competent, but some part of me wishes someday I will be. Cause I used to do a lot of programming um, just in the shell in Vim that, that was kind of my go-to. Because I was usually remoted into these bigger systems in data centers.
0: Um, your uh, your skill sets that you bring to the table. I mean, look the. Have you ever heard of uh, Indian food called biryani, which is rice mixed with everything else that can go with rice?
1: <laughs> oh, I am pretty <laughs> so, sure I've had it because my my yeah, wife is we're big fans of Indian food.
0: So if you eat biryani, it's like rice mixed with all the things in the world, chicken, meat, spices, vegetables, eggs, (laughs) fried rice, but with more stuff on it, you know, um, I think that's so important in machine learning and AI. But when you're telling the story about AI machine learning, why an executive should look into this topic and why an executive should make a decision and how to help that executive come up with a vision and some landmark goals in between that vision to get to that vision, um, your expertise is super, super important. I think that is... Very well in demand for and i'm I'm super thrilled to hear your experience on these levels of uh, engaging with executives like what what it is that you tell an executive um, not behind closed doors but in general that how does that conversation go? What are some of the things that you uh, give them for them to understand like look you know that that i t system that you've been so frustrated with the last fifty years. Um, and now the next ten years of IT will go in AI machine learning route. How do you how do you tell them the story? How do you make it visual for them so they can understand it without any you know whiteboard or drawing or just you know um, straight up use case proof of concept? Right. Um, what, what do you tell them? Like how does the conversation go?
1: It. I'll break it down how I normally approach these conversations with executives. But I do want to back up and say that I did not always know how to communicate with them. So when I was the chief data scientist at Higher View, I was coming out of the hedge fund. I, I would make an argument that I ran Higher View like a quant or like a we're alpha chaser. I ran it like a hedge fund. I didn't care what our competitors were doing. I just cared what we were going to be doing next, 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 next. And I had plenty of awkward interactions when I was at Higher View with our ceo um i remember i got in there first first couple months i'm digging through the databases pulling data down and doing some analysis and i i think two months in i found some lift that i thought was pretty exciting it seemed like it was mapping to value and i sent a plot to the cto and ceo and the ceo responded very quickly and said what the hell am i looking at and my email had excitement around it that this is good news look what i found I remember being a little put off, thinking, "Oh, geez, there's a nicer way to say that." Or, um, and then I was in a meeting once. Um, I think it was an hour long meeting, which is embarrassing. And I've got I'm show I'm walking them through what we've been working on recently, and um, I'm embarrassed to say I showed them two or three failed iterations because yeah, you're trying to show like we did this and it didn't work, we did this and it didn't work, and then you're ultimately getting to the fourth that you're trying to like show your level of competency or your level of diligence. And I remember during that meeting, Mark, the CEO interrupted me and he said, Ben, we know you're smart. That's why we hired you. Please stop reminding us. But the way he said it, it, it was a problem. It was (laughs) not a compliment. Right. And and I understand now. So one of my thing, one of the things I was doing is I enjoyed educating anyone in the audience about some of the statistical jargon that, oh, this is an AUC chart. This is why this so, is so incredible or oh, let me explain one more thing. And I think at the time I thought if I could upskill them with little breadcrumbs, within a year we'd have this very fluid AI conversation and 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 that's very naive because what I did not realize if you want to influence an audience, you need to understand who they are. You need to understand their world. And I did not understand the nightmare of what it means to be a CEO where you're managing payroll at this level. You've got board meetings coming up. Um, And then when I went and did my own startup, um, co-founded a startup with David Gonzalez and sold it to data robot after three years, I appreciate everything about running the business. Um, So now when I meet with an executive I have the technical pedigree but now i can communicate where they see urgency and they see value and so the way i most ai talks with exec, now i'll break down how i enjoy talking with execs most ai talks that execs receive are poor they're terrible and the way they they come about is it's a tidal wave of jargon and and mm-hmm. knowledge gap filling that they don't care about and the outcome of that meeting is there's no urgency it's a nice to have, and maybe next year we'll review again. And, and it was failed communication. So when I meet with execs, I like to talk about current problems they have. Note, so I can have a pretty engaging conversation with execs, and I don't even talk about AI. I just talk about um, a business is made up of processes, processes involve people and data. If I audited your business, especially for a larger organization, I would find a lot of processes that are stale. They haven't changed. They haven't evolved for 10 years, 20 years, never. Now let's actually ask why. Well, it could be a few reasons. People are too busy. Process owners are too busy to fix the process or the consequence of change is significant. Like think of like an underwriting approval process for an engineering. You you can't just change that process that you don't know what the downstream effects are. Um, so stale process is an issue. And then the other issue is you have knowledge workers. So ju- I remember when I was a junior, a chemical engineer at Intel Micron, you feel you realize that school has not prepared you very well for the real world. And so you don't want to ask stupid questions, but you want to try to come across as being competent. There's that insecurity. You run into outlier situations where you don't know what to do. So I'm in the fab, something's going wrong. I don't know what to do. And thank goodness there's this senior engineer or principal engineer. And then eventually I become the senior principal engineer where I, I know what to do because I've done it before. But then okay. I leave the company. So what happened with that knowledge? And so when executives realize that processes are still, knowledge is lost on a regular basis, and just like experience is spooling up in their workers, they have data, which is also their experience. But they're not leveraging it. They're not using it. And, and then now they're ready to start listening to the AI conversation about how AI will, um, will imp- it will evolve their process. It'll allow them to innovate, allow them to make better decisions um but one of the things i didn't break down is it's really important to succeed on an emotional opener because otherwise it's just a pitch and people are used to pitches and they've got these invisible walls up but if you can have a powerful emotional opener that will break down those walls it it can eliminate them pretty quickly and then you can get into the conversation about how you're going to deliver value in the next couple quarters
2: yeah it it's tough trying to deliver what AI is, or explain how you're going to solve a problem, and you watch their eyes. You can, you know, you can't see them, but you can feel their eyes start to roll back in the back of their head, and, and they don't have any obvious questions, and their energy doesn't match your energy on the phone. That's when you're like, okay, um, let's start this over. Okay, <laughs> let's draw a picture, <laughs> and, yeah. and let's figure out let's figure out how we can make this picture clearer to you. And I'm not talking stick figures. I'm talking seriously. Let's draw a picture that you can understand, because what I'm talking about now—the technical robot computer thing that I'm putting together right now—doesn't make any sense. And I've I've had those feelings. Matter of fact, I had a discussion with my team just yesterday about AI, and I felt my team leads' eyes start to roll back in the back of their heads. And I was like, "Okay, let's stop. (laughs) We're only going to know. We're only. You're only going to know or or gain trust." Or gain that level of experience once you get your hands on it. So let's just quit talking about it. In the next few weeks, we're going to get our hands, we're going to get our feet wet, and we're going to jump in. And then that's when the excitement started to build. But me talking about it, just forget about it. There's no point, you know. You you, you really, you, it depends on you know obviously the, the the individuals and the scope. But when you're talking to executives, it's almost like you can take a technical twenty point. Or a t- twenty-page PowerPoint presentation and just shrink it down to one or two PowerPoint slides, and that will get the point across to executives. A- at least my my experience, you know. Try to keep it yeah. short.
1: Yeah, and well, be respectful of their time. Their time and attention is quite valuable, and they're depending on you to make some key decisions. So I, I remember showing, I think I showed when I was at HireVue, I'm showing these executives this model, and is is the performance good enough to turn it on? Like it's almost like I'm leaving that conversation to the room, but they hired me for a reason. So hindsight, it'd be like, I recommend we turn it on, but we don't expose it to customers, but we you know we run it for a few weeks and and then we do the ROI calculation. Um you have to take ownership. And um the more you try to get partial credit for your work, or the more you try to add confidence bounds and different things like that on your models the less confidence the executives have in your work which is interesting because at the time i thought look at all this smart stuff that we're doing isn't this great and i I think the the big elephant in the room that most data scientists completely miss is urgency an urgency that's defensible so i on a regular basis i'll hear stories about data science teams being um let go and i would argue they they weren't able to get the dotted line to the business that justified their burn. Data scientists are expensive and innovation and data science as a nice to have is only nice to have when things are going well. Um, but eventually people, CFOs and different people come in and make these decisions. And I, I blame the data scientists or, or really the data science managers. It's the, I've had data scientists work on my team that are deep, deep tech where you, You don't want them to talk to a customer. You don't want them to present to an executive. But they still are a very useful member of the team. They provide really helpful insight, but you have to kind of, you have to herd them. You have to task them to keep on task.
0: I I think organizationally speaking, um, my my number is um, 20% of the people will do 80% of the work.
1: Oh yeah, completely agree. And that
0: does not mean those twenty percent needs to be in front of everybody. Otherwise, they're not doing all the work because uh, there's people that are super valuable, but they have to do what they have to do. And you just have to breed that connection between people that will take this out into the world and sell it, right? And that's their task. And so, so the organization has always this, uh, you know, uh, product development, and then you have sales team, and in between that you have the administrative operations, right? Um, So having those three separated, but working together in sync is very, very uh, important oil, very, uh, very well greased machine, right? Uh, That's able to operate off of each other's energy and understanding the level setting of understanding that sales team understand machine learning as much as they need to in order to sell so they can speak emotionally uh, to the executives and then the product developers are actually in sync with the sales team. So, you know, they're able to continuously upgrade them with the new and latest uh, development that's happening on their side of the uh, operation. So um, when we are discussing these, you know, technologies to the people that are not developing this technology, I find that, you know, between what we used to do, what we're so used to, which is a software development using coding and programming language um to now with AI we'll have to have everybody actually become very well aware of how machine learning works, level set that right level set that within an organization, so To have these discussions with an executive, and have the same discussion with somebody who's uh, uh, might be an HR, like a business process owner, doesn't necessarily have to be the CEO of the organization, but any business process owner, any data owner that is not super technical, they will not develop any AI, machine learning, or code program, or you know, throw stuff in GitHub, right? Um, These individuals' feedback is super, super important because uh, when it comes to software, you know, you saw a pain point, you solved it with coding and programming language, right? Um, but when it comes to AI and machine learning, the human in the loop using these other organiza- uh, part of the organization to be on that table, to have that conversation, to have that emotional engagement to the topic of like, look, this is next 10 years of your organization's ability to sustain and scale itself. Because if you're not there's somebody else who doesn't even exist at this point will come and eat your lunch, right? Um, because that's that's the kind of Netflix and blockbuster type of situations that we will see for years to come because a lot of the organizations are not even well positioned to pivot into AI machine learning, right? And yet there'll be a startup that will just come and say, look, everything you have done, I literally can do that with AI machine learning and do it for much cheaper, uh, which is 90% of the service with 10% of the cost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just want to just want to throw that in there. I really don't I really don't have any question here. <laughs> well,
1: I I have a, a reaction listening to you. So I think a um, uh, lot lots of thoughts are flowing through. So one of the things I wanted to one of my reactions listening to you is there are insecurities that exist in most most companies. I would say most tech companies if I'm going to expand that course, to most large companies. So think of Fortune 100 companies. Of course. They're actually most of them are very insecure about the interview questions that they ask when they're onboarding people. A lot of the questions are just kind of, they're, they're not that defensible. Like they're they're just kind of coming together from different individuals at different times. And if you asked, why are you asking this question? What is it measuring? They don't have a good answer uh, to that. The other insecurity that a lot of companies have is around innovation. Most companies, I would argue, do innovation poorly. So innovation, um, there's some interesting themes or stereotypes that exist with different types of functions. So innovation can tend to be academic and it's siloed and it's disconnected from the business um but i think throughout the business you can have a lot more accountability so if let's pretend the three of us were competing on separate whiteboards to come up with three really big ai ideas or innovation ideas it doesn't have to be ai and we're done we have our ideas and they're they are all incredible Um, who has the better idea uh well we could go build these we could go spend months building them and let's say we all succeed and then we'll find out in in a year that one idea was better than the other but i i think that's a funny mindset the reactive mindset is funny why don't you just be proactive so why don't we look at all three of our ideas and then say okay there's different types of attribution marketing attribution there's product attribution user attribution there's sales attribution and so from sales attribution i could take your. All three of these ideas and i could go meet with our top sellers so president's club people that crush it really really good and i share the three innovations and I even mock them up so they look real and i ask can you sell these and in the issue you need to break down is sometimes product will get credit for all features and you really want the seller to admit that this would be a top three close reason on an account and if your innovation isn't in the top three close reason then I'm not going to give you sales attribution because the seller's going to be like, yeah, it's not going to make a difference for me on closing that account. Um, so n- not to belabor the point, but there's different ways you can actually, we could actually fail this week. We could even better, we fail before we build. We realize, I love your idea. I get it on the whiteboard. I think we could build it. Marketing doesn't think it's marketable. We can't have a w- webinar around it for for lead gen or some partnership co-marketing stunt. Sellers say they can't sell it. And we talked to the customer advisory board and users said they won't use it. And that how great would that be to find that out within, you know, a couple of weeks? And you haven't even rolled up your sleeves yet. And innovation groups don't think like that. It's it's nerds in a room, they lack customer empathy. Um that, this is just kind of a general statement in the industry. Not everyone's that way
0: yeah and it it does cost money it is risky time to time right um because you have so many competition out in the market um research and development you know could be a risky proposition um however we're we're seeing lots of use cases where i think when we are discussing um you know uh, home i o t s right i o t device um and and you know futuristic things like Iron Man and Jarvis, right? Um, we love talking about movies here, by the way. Uh, we love talking about Star Trek. As, but, I mean, I love talking about Star Trek because Star Trek is that, what you said about 10 years ago, how you would make fiction. And then 10 years later, you have to kind of say, well, that's not fictional enough. That's happening. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I love that. That's how you know when you watch sci-fi, you're not you know, really just watching something and forgetting it. You're sitting there waiting for it to happen right? When I'm watching sci-fi, I'm just like, enough time has passed. Where's that flying skateboard? Like, you know, how come we don't have that, right? Um, those kind of questions, I think you hear a lot from Back back to the Future type of movies. Um, but when it comes to Star Wars and Star Trek or, you know, other sci-fi type of movies, um, I lean into Star Wars because Star Wars has nanotechnology. Star Wars talks about AI. Star Wars talks about um, uh, quantum, as in, you know, using uh, mycelium theory to travel through space, right? Using mushrooms yeah. to travel through space, which, you know, is mind-blowing, right? So... When it comes to these use cases, like uh, some of the sci-fi stuff that we 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 think is sci-fi in 2022, what do you think is going to become reality in 2025? Like, what are some of the things that you are seeing on the horizon that you're like cheering on? You're like, man, this coming, it's coming down the pipe. We just don't have it yet, you know.
1: Um, I I think we still have big breakthroughs that have to happen in AI. So people are talking about um, the 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 Turing test is. It's not a sufficient test to gauge if AI is le- reaching human levels I love of generalization. That. I love um, that. But you don't have to fault Turing for it because when he came up for it, it was very profound. It was He, he is a genius of his time. But and people are talking about these Turing test replacements now. And I think a lot of the alternatives, honestly, are disappointing uh, because I, I'm a big fan of working backwards. So if you realize, oh, this new Turing test that you're proposing I think hmm. one of them I forget the name of it but they they're essentially saying that a super intelligent AI should be able to watch a show like Seinfeld and it should be able to comprehend everything that's happening. So it it understands the characters, it knows what they're doing, it's keeping track and st- track of stuff. But the problem that you run into with AI these big big network systems is they're really good at mimicking. So they can they they could pull off a parlor trick. I w- I would argue that AI could do all of that. AI could watch movies eventually. Whether it's five years from now, ten years, or twenty, definitely by twenty, and it comprehends everything. It's not on par with us. It's not. It's not even close. It, that that is not. You're not going to have the singularity from that. And I think there are there there are better ways to think about it. I think. Right. And so we have some breakthroughs. We're love missing.
2: That. Yeah, love that.
1: I th- this might seem I. I think it's a good experiment, so I like getting to the very end of the story. So the, the very end of the story is, um, I made the singularity last night. Like, promise, I'll swear on anything you want me to swear. Like, I'll, you know, whatever consequence you want to come up with. I made the singularity last night, but don't worry, it's randomly initialized, meaning it's dumb right now, and it's going to start consuming some experience. An experience is a webcam hooked up to it in my kitchen. So it's not it's not mobile, it can't move, and it's only input. It can't have anything going out. And we can actually have a debate about what this would do, because we would all agree it's better than me. Um it, not on day zero, but on a year it is better than me. And so sure. what can it do? Well, it has perfect memory recall. So if you show it a sequence and refeed it through, it would know back in time exactly when that happened, things that a human would not be able to do. Um, And then attention to detail. And then if you added different objects, it'll have a pretty good spatial understanding of the environment. But I think um, search is something that's often missing in AI discussions. But one of the things that I think is often missing, it's showing up a little bit more. It's this concept of novelty seeking. So this singularity, I come down in the kitchen in the morning, I cook eggs and I eat them. Um, eventually AI is so good. It can predict how many eggs I might eat that day. Am I going to have two? Am I going to have four? I'm going to have three. It's actually better than I am at anticipating or better than another human observing me what I'm going to do. But honestly, I'm quite boring. AI (laughs) is bored out of its mind. This singularity in a a jar is bored out of its mind. But the day my mother-in-law comes over, it, it's almost like if there are pupils on this thing, it, it would be the most interesting thing. It's, or right. like if a dog came over, it hasn't seen this before. And when, I, when the dog leaves, it's going to be thinking about it. It's going to be thinking about it and daydreaming. And, right. and I'm not trying to personify it, but that is, that is a constrained singularity. And I, I think the more we start thinking about that, we realize the gaps we have today.
0: Yeah how do, how do you get to that level of AGI artificial general intelligence even though it sounds sci-fi like I don't think people will sit there and say you know let me keep using computers that are just memory based like it has no imagination it, it's not able to engage that memory that it saves and collects and add intelligence, which is imagination into it, right? That ability to say, what's possible here? Because that's the kind of computers we have today. We have this decision tree that computer goes through and then on the backside just goes through a bunch of questions and then says, decision tree says yes or no. And then on the backside, it decides what yes or no means. And then just does that operation over and over. Well, we already have that. We've mastered it. So uh, 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 not to have this Jarvis-like AI, which will use natural language processing, using multiple models of like, hey, look, I have a model inside of me that is built just to identify an animal and what kind of animal it is. And just from the wagging of the tail, I know some details about that animal. So if that animal was a deer that broke into your house versus a dog, I know about that dog and a deer. I know about, mm-hmm. you know, your family came over. It is a family that came over, not a stranger who's stealing your stuff from your kitchen, right? So, so these kind of uh, the, the possibility, like the, I think, you, you know, you're talking about reverse engineering. Like Alan Turing said, you know, um, most human-like, like that even a human cannot tell that's not a human. That's a machine that's actually making those decisions. Well, I think he's kind of saying that thing like, you know, reach for the moon, uh, reach for the stars. At least you will end up in the moon, Right. Um, I, I think Alan Turing's statement is you know, perfectly fine. It gives us a high inspiration to get to and for us not to uh, you know, reach for that star, at least for the moon at this point. Um, by the way, I just want to throw this out there. White House is talking about going to the moon and uh, I love that idea that they're actually talking about living in the moon and extracting. Moon. Oh,
1: having a moon base. That's, that's an important moon part base. for yeah. I wouldn't yeah, be on, on the dark Mars. the moon. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your shirt Pink Floyd
0: Love so it. I think that just came out today or yesterday um, the serious talk right but, but uh, point back to that uh, you know the inspiration of it like you know if you reverse engineering like we have so many IOTs at home right now that are collecting all this data but this data instead of serving us well it's serving somebody else's ability to say like how do I sell this data right I think that's yeah. fine I think selling data is uh, up to a certain point is fine but when it starts serving us, I think it will be total revolutionary that Jarvis-like from Iron Man, um, oh, my goodness. I, I, I'm like, please, let me let me see this in three years, not 10 or 15, because I want to be able to grow into Jarvis, like as in I want to be young enough to say, like, by the time I'm 70, Jarvis is, like, literally my best friend. Well, <laughs> Rather than be, be introduced to Jarvis, like, when I'm 65 in the elderly home care.
1: <laughs> well, it, one of the things I've said, which I think aligns with what you just said, Jarvis being your best friend, I've mentioned online that um, I will be alive to have AI get to a point where the most engaging conversations of my life will be with AI. So think about, you and en- you engage with intelligent people, people on podcasts, people in industry, and we've read different books and we have, you know, some of us like philosophy, uh, we might have debates about um, science, religion, the mind, etc. But you have an opportunity to have a Jarvis conversation with something that has the wealth of knowledge. It has, it knows everything about everything. And if it has stateful memory, it is learning things about you. And so one of the biggest profound breakthroughs would be, um, I've got a, I I took, um, in graduate school, I studied chemical engineering and I was also learning physics. So I took the, um, I took a graduate level physics class that kicked my ass. And I, (laughs) I have a physics book that's this thick and it has like the wealth of knowledge of, you know, what we know about general relativity. It is so hard to read. It's right. like, it's just pulling to like, just to read page by page and try to understand it. If I have a AI that has the wealth of knowledge, it can actually communicate with me the way I need to hear things. And so think of all the the books you've read. There's some books you read where you're like, Oh my gosh, I wish there was a different author writing about this topic. Um, and so that that's really exciting because we will consume knowledge that much faster. If I can have it taught to me at the 5th grade level, then I will I can always level up. Now I'm ready for the the PhD level, but please start at the 5th grade level and let's build.
0: Yeah, I think uh, look, for me the excitement is that if you have Stephen Hawking in front of an AI, and AI is looking at Stephen Hawking and saying like, you know, I will adjust my level of conversation here because I'm talking to Stephen Hawking, right? I know Stephen Hawking. Um, But when it comes to the fifth grader, I'm able to actually adjust, right? Adjust with a digital, say, a video that I can create just off of all the information from the internet right? Right now, I have to sit there and wait for Coursera to come up with a course or Udemy to come up with a course or somebody in the YouTube just in general put out a video for me to watch so I can understand what what this new knowledge I want to learn about physics, right? So I think education AI is super near, dear to my heart. I think home IoTs is one of the device because I live in home all the time. But when it comes to education AI, I know I cannot learn as fast as other people. I know that, right? It's very frustrating for me to like, when I was trying to learn code, oof, boy, I wish there wasn't an AI that was just like, hey, look, I'll help you, right? Like literally coaching me and mentoring me. But it's it's understanding the ability of me, right? As in it understands me. So that way, if I'm neurodivergent, if I have some sort of a specific ways that I want to learn, it's able to create content for me specifically. And then I don't have to wait for a publisher to put out a PDF file for me to read through, right? Or, or publish a book for me to read through. Um, yeah. These kind of AIs are actually being worked on right now. And I think it's super exciting what you just said, because if we take that back to the business knowledge management earlier, as in your talent, they come and go, but you have no way to con- continue their talent into the next levels of uh, hiring or you know for, for your for your organization to continue with those knowledge think about that like if we start with education ai and put that into the business knowledge now that business knowledge continues itself so when you onboard somebody new who's you know who's new to your organization now you're able to tell them through their way of learning about what they need to know about your organization so as a ceo you can you can lose people but you'll always continue to manage this knowledge right. this other individuals have left or took with them in, in brain, but in AI, it's already saved for the next person to take over.
1: And that's the holy grail for business. Because if they can have this oracle of worker knowledge where it's pooling it together, then that doesn't leave. But it's also, you can upskill new employees that much faster by oh, having, sure. and they each have a digital assistant. There there are some funny, um, AI ethics is interesting because when, when you have this Jarvis system that's interacting with you, there are concerns that show up pretty quickly. And, and so the the most triggering concern that I give people, imagine if your Alexa was stateful. So I, I've got three young kids. They they interact with it every day. It reads them books. I love it. As a parent, I love it. If that Alexa had a memory, where now I'm overhearing a conversation where it's saying, how was school today, Sally? And Sally says, oh, it was, it was hard. Billy was mean again. And if Alexa is stateful and says, oh, that Billy, that Billy's always mean, we would agree on this interview that well that it's just silly. It's not. It's not conscious. It's not. It, it it. But the fact that it's stateful, it can begin to develop a personal connection. Where now, let's pretend that the personal connection is pretty engaging for that child, and the firmware is reset in two years. Then the the child will experience grief and loss. But the same thing could happen to. There's that movie, Her, that had a lot of attention. That was right. some people thought was way over the top. But I would argue. Um, I actually said th- something online that was a little darker where I was, I was explaining to people this concept that you could engineer your own personal grief event. Um, so I could engineer a chatbot that stateful witty per- personality. I interact with on a regular basis. And then within a couple of years, I'm trying to get it to a point where I've determined I have an emotional connection. And then I remove that entity and you know, y- so you know, And that's what's so frustrating about that because you, as a human, you're smart enough to know there's no scenario where you should experience grief. But we've already experienced grief with objects. Like if you've had a car that you've loved, if you've had other things, you sell that car,
2: you're sad. You're you're sad for it. No, I've actually already experienced that. Um, I started developing a a generative AI, Stable Diffusion, uh, version Mm -hmm. 1.4. And and one point four X. And as soon as I started developing it and training the model and, you know, just 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 having, you know, gaining knowledge, understanding more about generative A.I., I started because of the fact that it's it's giving me something. I'm human. It's giving me art, something that. And depending on who you are, it takes hours to develop or write or create months, years, and then it's doing it on the fly. And you're like, this is really cool. So then there's a new version of of of, of stable diffusion <laughs> being released, right? And so I'm looking at my laptop and I'm like looking oh, at it like I've already put in so much work into my AI and training right. it and trying to get and I know I, I know the fact that I, I look at it, I was, wait a minute, I know that it's not alive, of course. But it's given me so much satisfaction it is, and it's given me like I, I love art. So I, I've, I've created a lot of, you know, generative AR with you know, Van Gogh, Rembrandt, you know, all the artists. And I've, and I've been and, and actually even developed our logo for our podcast recently. And, <laughs> and, but the, the, the story comes to I, I have to upgrade my AI to the new version. And I don't want to do it because for some reason I feel attached to what I've already trained. I, I've oh, got an attachment funny. to my model now, and I don't want to change it because it's like, okay, I know what happens when you upgrade, when you patch things. As an engineer, I know what ha- I know what Apple does. I know what everybody I know what, and I don't want to <laughs> patch it. I want I want to keep my AI the way it is because I'm attached to it. My buddy, that's that's Bob. <laughs> it, it's like having a pet.
1: So you yeah. you have a
2: second pet, but you're not going to get rid of your first pet. Right. Um. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I have to install Stable Diffusion on another system just so to keep I want to keep my AI happy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. As far as I see it, you well, know. So, uh
1: I think you bring up an important point that. Uh, so I'm thinking now, that grief is always present. So y- you don't need an intelligent entity to cause grief. You, um, just like if you had a favorite pocket knife, if I take it away, you're going to grieve that. You, you'll have grief for that. But there, I think for humans, they there are levels of grief that we enter being a parent um being a sibling being a spouse that unfortunately um to live a life of love means you will you you are likely to experience a life of extreme sorrow and extreme grief at least at some point in your life and i think for most people they they sign up for that they yeah. they'd rather live that life um than be a selfish individual that is completely siloed with no meaningful love connections with anyone
0: you know I think there's a common theme um and and i I love it i love I love everything we're talking about here. The common theme that I bring it up with is like um by the way i I'm, I'm, I do these presentations um on a weekly basis and I do it for free, uh, and I talk about space and time right um, everything we know has a space and time behind it, so if it's i t how does time relate to that you know, everything i t is being built to save us more time right. If we can do it faster, that means we get to do other things. Not that we have more time in our hand, but we reduce the amount of time it takes to get something done. And that's what IT is so relevant in our lifestyle today in 2022, right? Um, Nobody's thinking about like, hey, let's just go back to the good old days of 100 years ago, right? It's doing something for us that is, which is time-saving. And and if I may, I want to stitch all this business case, education, and the emotion, the grief that we're talking about with time. As in, in business, you save time by not training somebody for next six months to get them up to speed about your business because you just hired them and your last talent left You know you weren't able to retain them. So your knowledge management continues. You save time. Instead of six months, you Show them six days through AI videos and AI PDF knowledge or AI quizzing. AI's ability to you know teach somebody tailored to that person you just hired to teach them about your business process very very fast rapidly, and they're able to do things amazingly in the seventh day, right? Uh, without resting. <laughs> so, um, I'm just kidding about that one. So now you go back to the education. Same thing, you know. Instead of wasting kids days in life or eight hours a day, they have to study this topic. Well, how about in eight minutes, you're able to uh, watch a video and take a break, go play and come back and study for 80 minutes on a book and then blah, 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 blah. And instead of eight hours, you are able to cover the same topic in minimal amount of hours. I'm not going to put a time into that. Um, but the kids, they're able to do more now, right? Uh, just like IT allows adults to do more, the education will allow, educational AI will allow the kids to do more, play more, do more, and not be stuck to the chair and a table for eight hours learning physics, right? Um, and then you, I go into the grief part of it, you know, think about a time saving, like as in we have generational understanding of how a grief process works. It's a long process. You have to go through the process of, you know, accepting it, getting angry about it, being depressed about it. It was like a 12 stages of grief, right? But what if there's an AI that's able to, you know, give us that therapy that we need with the right type of questioning? As in, there's an AI that Microsoft uses in China, which has about, I think, 150-some million people already engaged with it. Uh, since 2015, right? There's, there's people are just talking to this AI, and this AI is able to, you know, ask you pointed questions like, uh, like something that you're, you're most likely your friends wouldn't, but your psychologist might, you know, like that middle level kind of questioning that is you're able to engage and say, like, you know, I'm having a bad day today. What should I think about, right? And this AI is able to point around that and say, like, you know, these are the kind of things that I will ask you, and then all of a sudden your perspectives are changing because you're thinking about answering questions. Now, what happens if you don't grieve for month after month, but you're grieving actual right amount of time, say on a daily basis, you're able to grieve through for a week, right? But your outcome is much better because you're much more energized because previously without AI, you know, you agree for months, but at the end, it doesn't, it doesn't take you anywhere higher. Like you aren't more productive. You aren't more focused. You were not back to yourselves. Like, you know, some part of you just left and you could not recuperate from that. Um, I just want to throw that out there because, like, if you start thinking about time, you do a whole lot better with AI because what you want to do is advocate for these kind of AIs that are saving a lot of time, not just for a, a business or as a community, but as a, as a human experience. Like, these human experiences are all about saving time. Once you save time, you get to do more. Once you save time, you innovate better. If you save time, you get to you know, spend time with your kids, you raise better kids, actually. You know? Like you have a generational differences that you see as you save more times. And I'll stop right there.
1: <laughs> well, maybe real quick, a quick comment on the time thing. Um, so humans have two to three billion heartbeats in a lifetime. Okay. Uh, not that it's dis- not that you have a cap, but essentially that's what we get. I also All like right. to think that we have a certain discrete number of thoughts. So if I'm going to spend 10 hours reading emails and writing emails, I could spend 10 hours doing innovation with you or jumping into the generator work. That sounds really, really fun. (laughs) And I'd rather do that. But it also brings up this theme of mental health um, and mental evolution through, you know, hopefully we become, we get more and more control the older we get with our cognitive cycle. So for example, if someone says something to me that offends me or pisses me off, if I'm thinking about that for hours, that's robbing me of doing something I actually want to do, having a, a new, a new novel idea. And so, one of the things that really adds a lot to life is um, there. It's almost like the spice of life is comes in the creative to paint, to do music, to do storytelling poetry um cooking like there, there's so many creative things that i really and i think everyone should partake in this space um if we have time because um, i think it's it's what it means to be human the, the answers are not clear they, they're more in the gray it's not black and white thinking
0: if 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 I can if I can add another topic to uh, to discuss with anybody, especially executives, right? That's you know you mentioned you know CEOs have to keep up with payrolls. CEOs have to keep up with you know keeping the company going for the next five, 10 years. They all boil down to decisions. So just like heartbeat in a human brain, we make about thirty some thousand decisions a day, give or take. 37,000 decisions. And that not to say, you know, somebody who does all Olympics versus somebody who sits on the couch, watches TV all day. They're, they're two different people making two different numbers of decisions. Now, everybody's making about give or take the same amount of decisions, right? 30,000 or 30,000, 30, 35,000 decisions a day, right? Um, but not all of them are buying red Ferraris, right? Some of them are, you know, as minor as like, you know, um, did you pay attention to your breath that you just took right now? Right, that's a decision. So, this decision-making capabilities that we have, which gives birth to predictability, as in we are able to predict many things because we are we've been making decisions as a as a human being as as long as we've been alive. Um, this decision making is where AI will will provide so many support to us, right? As in, once you're talking about grieving and and having that grieving process, making uh, changes in perspective, those perspectives is based on your ability to make decisions, right? AI is just a tool that's in front of you or around you that is able to guide you through that process, but your decision is still with you, right? And I think that's important to think about. If you were to assist yourself to a technology that you will build for yourself to help you make better decisions in business or better decisions in uh, local politics or governmental level or or say you know just the united nations whatever the case is if you want to do you want to go to war do you not want to go to war if you do go to war what kind of decisions do you make that decision intelligence that decision science behind it is my core uh uh interest in machine learning my core take on everything machine learning like if if you're talking about machine learning and i sit down with you and we don't talk about decision science i might leave that room because you know you're just talking about mathematics here you're talking about things that i'm not really good at right Uh, talking about codings and programmings i'm not the best coding programmer i just kind of have like you know over the surface understanding of it i've taken boot camps on um five languages but when it comes to decision so time is one aspect of it. So you have to make a decision about that time. What kind of time are you trying to save, right? What sort of decisions will you make in the future? What sort of decisions that you make today that if there was an AI as a third leg, as in you are the decision maker and you have a team of decision makers around you, like CFOs, CIOs, and the rest of your organization that helps you with those the decisions, and you have a third component that is AI-based decision maker that's able to say, you know, the guys, you guys are making this decision. This is an AI decision. How do we make, how do we uh, compare and contrast our decision-making capabilities? And if you're developing that tool over time for, say, next five years to keep testing that decision-making capability for your organization, uh, be it uh, local um, you know, local government or uh, local nonprofit organization, whatever the case is, that decision-making capability that AI, AI will have, I think is super important to look, focus and look at because that is something to give us a perspective and save us more time rather than going down a rabbit hole of saying, okay, let's just make this decision without really having any decision intelligence behind it.
1: And just that there's a process to escape the process. So if you, you can augment it, you can add decisions where you're kicking out low confidence decisions to a human cue, but then eventually you get to all decisions are AI. And that might sound scary where, Oh no, every human attached to this process got let go or fired. But my personal experience has been uh, there's always a new process. And I think one of the themes in my career is if you, if you fight as hard as you can to automate your current job, you'll find out that it's impossible to be eliminated. Like there's always a new job. So gotcha. if you if you eliminate your current job through automation, especially if you're the one tip of the spear doing it, there mm-hmm. will always be a new job. Um,
0: yeah, that's the I, human in the loop, the subject matter expert that has to stay with that AI in order to have that AI sustain and scale itself over <laughs> time, right? Um, so So I think that's very important that when we talk about a workforce, adopting an AI, the workforce have to have the mindset to say, how does this AI augment or assist me in uh, my workspace uh, for the workforce, rather than somebody singularly deciding that, you know, I have this giant workforce that I just want to get rid of, right? Two different outcomes. When there's a workforce that engages in developing and designing this AI, the workforce will decide. No, this AI will have to augment us from doing repeatable, redundant, or dangerous missions, uh, dangerous tasks. Um, versus, you know, the other side of it is that hey, I'm the CEO, and I will say I just want to get rid of my workforce completely and have an AI replace them. Right? Oh, Two yeah. different outcomes. So I think human in the loop, this understanding of Alan Turing, institutions of London, that understanding that you know subject matter experts needs to be involved in developing this AI. So not only do we develop a ethical AI full of privacy concerns and safety concerns and, you know, um, uh, security concerns. Um, but this AI is not creating a social tension that, um, you know, is very easy to avoid if, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm just having like flashbacks of different movies. All of a sudden I robot and, <laughs> you know, I Robot's the one that kind of jumps out with everything we're describing is exactly what the movies, at least, the premise is of of that movie and, and and a movie of of course is all it's all subject to you know the writer, but at the end you know what it comes down to is we 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 at, the, at we don't mind the help you know having R 2 R2D2 or or a, uh, or 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 a Data you know in Star Trek Data was awesome you know <laughs> Data could have ran the whole show you know we didn't need Captain Kirk or anyone else Data could have been it or 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 um, was it the original Star Trek? It was um, Spock. Spock. Yeah. You know, it, it, Spock could have done everything. And Captain Kirk was, could have just, we could have just got rid of him, you know. <laughs> and, and then the future would actually would have been better. <laughs> but to have that, that AI, that, that, that voice of reason, is scary to me. It sounds great. Sounds great. perspective the perspective sounds great i just i I, i'm always a i'm a pessimistic optimist if that makes any sense you know you know i i I really don't believe that we can come up with things that are always going to change things the way we want to change things and the pain's going to come over time and eventually we may get there but i just i just think that of course i think ai is fantastic and i'm being negative but to be able to trust an AI at some point to make decisions for us, oh man that's 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 a future to look forward to <laughs> you know, Probably,
1: some decisions you desperately want it, like heart disease, hospital data, like i to celebrate the physician that can catch a one in a million disease, which was the old school way of thinking, I don't want that like I want that in partnership, but I would much rather have an AI system that has a hundred million or eight billion. Patience of experience, and yes. now when your your kid or spouse is sick or you're sick, it is going through the wealth of knowledge, global wealth of knowledge, to decide. Um, there's a key thing that happens with healthcare research, or maybe research in general. In the past, the human has an idea. So let's say we're all medical researchers. I would say I've got a really good idea. I make a proposal, internal review board. I can go through this process, and I'll determine in a few in a few. Years, if it was a good idea, maybe we'll do an FDA trial or something. Um, and I'm oversimplifying it, but in the data, live in the data as patients are coming through. Think of like the Viox lawsuits. AI should have automatically figured that out. AI, AI should start having the light bulb ideas. So we are all asleep, and AI is reviewing the experience and finding new topics and saying, "Oh, this is really interesting. Um, I'm going to kick off a full blown study in the data." And then you come in as a researcher. And last night, AI did five unique. Um, innovations and you're reviewing them or testing them.
0: Ooh. Uh, it's giving me a goosebump right now. Like, like, <laughs> here, here's lucky. Look, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm there. But the the reverse engineering from that, and, and part of the fear, reverse engineering that to right now is to say, like, you got to start today to build that pat ai so that way that ai will go through the errors right as in the errors are the future error is not something that you know we should not have error is the future so having that error and reducing that error over time so that way you have high accuracy and most confidence right Mm -hmm. least amount of error most confident so if you don't have that starting today and five years down the road you're like look Microsoft just handed me this AI and I have to trust it today. That's where you don't want to be. Where you want to be is to say, I've built this AI for the last five years. I know every decision it has made for the last five years every single day. Now, mm-hmm. at this point, I don't even realize it's next to me making decisions that are helping me making decisions. Or if I look to the left and say like, hey... Pete, what you got going on? Pete says, this is my decision. And I look to my right and I see the AI like, AI, what you got to say about me and Pete's idea about what decisions we're about to make, right? That's the difference in that five years of having that AI to say like, you know, I trust my AI just like I trust Pete. But at the same time, I always ask both of them because now I can combine two sets of data, right? Uh, Two sets of data, which is one human intelligence, one artificial intelligence. And that artificial intelligence is... Uh, 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 not a not a buddy of mine not a pet of mine like you know if you get emotional attached i get that but at the same time you know that this buddy of yours or pet of yours or just this artificial intelligence has the data set that sh- that it needs right it has developed that decisions based off of those data sets that you fed it right Whew, exciting stuff man
2: no i i i <laughs> I trust me. I'm 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 a technologist. I love it. But you know what's the greatest part of being part of where we're at now is we get to see all this play out. Um, and like, like say for example, the the generative AI this you know discussions. You have people that are true artists that have spent their whole lives you know practicing their craft, and 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 they have the the probably the best hands for you know, creating the finest lines or the finest detail. And all of a sudden you have this generative AI that's coming <laughs> in and just smashing it and just creating these, just, just unrealistic, un- incredible images and it just flipping the world inside out, you know? And, yeah. uh, and I can't wait to, it strikes another market or another, just like we got Jarvis and we have Siri. That was a big change, you know? And all of a sudden, generative AI, that's the big one now. You know, the, 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 There's companies like, uh, oh, gosh, how did he get up here? Oh, sorry. Here's my buddy. Ah. Hey, buddy. Hey, <laughs> he decided to be part of the show. He, 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 and this is, at some point, getting to the point, and he actually brings it, sums it up for me, is it sounds like to me at some point we're going ha- to be replacing man's best friend with AI being our new best friend because they're going to be the one that helps us grow. It'll be that. Cause you see it now. Kids have these little, Oh gosh, there's dogs everywhere. We have AI um, that kids are, they're getting as infants now that that teach them how to communicate, talk, and that becomes right. their friend, little dogs, little AI pets. And the kids learn to, to communicate, not with a person, but with an, an, an AI and that's going to evolve. They'll have that friend for the rest of their life somehow suggestive, whether it be through a device or through some kind of, you know, R2-D2, we're going to have friends soon. I just, I want to see that happen though at some point because NLP is right on the edge. And, and like you said, reaching that singularity, getting to the point where we feel that that thing is actually alive. I think that's just a matter of perception. Uh, you know, do do we do we do we get communication do we get what we want out of it like a feeling emotion we can get that we get that now from our phones people are stuck on their phones how many likes do we get so I'm just thinking artificially we're not far from having that best friend be a bigger part of our life you know it's just a short turnaround from that point but um Sorry, I digress. My animal no, that, The here.
1: generator discussion is really interesting because it's it's extremely disruptive. So you talked about potentially disrupt. If you used a designer before for some of your marketing and if you can just request, like we're getting there quickly. There In a few years, why would you use a designer if you can just have a request and have a hundred? Because one of the things that um, you can do, if I have a hundred generation art forms come up on the screen, I can actually mate them. So I can say, well, this and this and this, and it will just keep doing these cycles. And so you in the room can quickly produce something that would have taken a creative couple days. And then um, I just got headshots done for the recent job announcement. And in the future, why would you use a photographer for headshots when you can just throw a Pinterest board and say, well, here's my social media. You obviously can find what I look like. And even low resolution, you can do super resolution with enough photos and here's a pinterest board and it'll give you headshots that would have cost you a thousand dollars to go spend half a day and so and same with modeling like if you're in the modeling industry and you focus so much on your look that is unique or it's it's been valuable to you why would i spend ten thousand dollars on a photo shoot with a professional model when i can just make a request um based on it also opens up hyper hyper personification so having having a single model with a single shoot for advertising is not as good as hyper personification where I can have a million models that are targeted to that audience in that setting using generative methods.
0: Yeah. Anybody who's listening, got to look up the model that they've been making for the last three years. She does not love AI whatsoever. There's a video clips of her. There's things that she's doing this jogging around and drinking out of water bottles wow, all AI, that, that is not a person. That person does not exist. And I'm looking at them like, I'm looking for a way to see where does she go wrong in you know, her movements, but she's a model and that's why they built her. So she can be a model for a product. And uh, boy.
1: Ay, ay, ay. Aye, 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 ay. <laughs> <aye, aye, aye. laughs>
2: yeah, where do we get into? Okay, if we're not even talking about robotics, we're not even talking about, you know it's, the, the world is changing quickly. You know, and, and and the opportunities for you to design different types of artificial intelligence and the different systems. You know, from there's sensory, uh, there's there's voice recognition, there's natural language processing, um, there's a lot of different areas. You know, uh, Tesla with with the the self-driving cars. At some point, all these neural nets will mesh together. And I'm, and I'm wondering, I'm trying to figure out when it'll happen. Is it going to happen in 50 years? You know, how, when does, when does an actual neural net really start to come out? What do you, what do you think? When, when do you, because it's hard to say, because right now we got five, you know, Fortune 500 companies and they can't agree on one thing. So when do you think there'll be one supreme neural net that kind of stands out from the rest?
1: Well, I like the idiot droid that goes to school, so that Jarvis in a jar if I can successfully teach it to speak English, so I'm gonna make it more complicated. it's not a camera. I now add a microphone and a speaker so it can do like babbling it's it's cooing, it learns to speak English, and eventually it speaks more words than you know a one year old two year old five year old but we'd all agree it's not conscious it's just it's pretty impressive. And then eventually it goes to college and it's a droid now, but it's an idiot droid. I had to like ask the dean for a special favor to have it go to college, <laughs> or, you know, for a publicity stunt. But then one day it comes home and it says, I published 10,000 research papers in physics today.
2: Right.
1: And then that's that's an example of a breakout event where we would all be laughing about my idiot droid that is still it's not conscious it's it it is pretty cute and fun but the day that happens we realize we realize as builders we've lost control um and so (laughs) so i I think that would but maybe someone you have these models that keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger gpt3 or these generators dally 2 and um i think they're always going to be a little bit misleading um on their capabilities it's that if you think about the singularity, it's a magic trick. So right now, I'd say five or ten percent of the population could be tricked, like I could trick my parents, given funding and time, and I think uh, you know we could anyone here on this call could trick trick our parents, but over time, they'll start increasing, and eventually we'll get to this other side where there's a fierce sliver of society that will never, ever agree that that is on par and it, it doesn't even matter if scientifically all three of us agree. there will always be a fraction of society. And so you'll never get consensus.
0: <laughs> that that goosebump has uh, leveled up to chill at this point because you're talking about graduating AI from university. <laughs> well, with all that said, man, look, my excitement started with AI, AI, because there's so much use case. But now they got chill, I got to say.
2: Ay 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 ay.
0: How the day, man? <laughs> it's been an awesome awesome conversation about so many use cases. Ben, one thing I must ask is please come back cuz we have to do we have to continue this conversation for sure.
1: Oh yeah. Well, we we haven't talked about the purpose of life or happiness, depression, <sighs> anxiety. Um not on that, the first date. None of yeah. first, sex,
2: drugs, no, or alcohol, rock and roll. <laughs> so we missed all those good subjects. I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we need we need to go deeper because I, I think that that personal assistant. It, it's one thing to keep track of your keys and to help you and give you advice and help you buy presents for your spouse or kids. Right. It's another thing when it starts coaching you on maximizing your purpose. It knows you're going to die, That's right. but it wants you to have. uh, less depression, less anxiety. When someone pisses you off, have less, you know, you can have emotional release, but bring it back to center quickly, have more empathy for people. Like there are probably some themes we could agree on that we all have our own lives and our own way to gauge them and score them. But there are some themes that most people would agree they would like to move on directionally. Like I, I would like to have more empathy. I'd like to I'd like to be, you know, less upset, more in control of my cognitive cycles. If someone yeah. says something, I don't want it to l- spin too many times in my head.
0: So, um, so show us your excitement! Like, what? How do you say? aye, 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 now,
1: <laughs> Ay, ay, ay. Ah, <laughs> ay, 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 ay <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It'll be more of a song. It'll be us sort of out in the desert around a fire with, with guitars, ay, <laughs> yeah, celebrating yeah. the the spice of life
0: lucky how do you uh how do you feel now
2: <laughs> well um honestly uh i i i had a few thoughts but at the end i i i i i
0: <laughs> lucky definitely yeah. went down the hill like i started on top of the mountain but yeah. look next time we come around we'll talk more about philosophy if we have to history i love history i love philosophy i love conflict i love conflict resolution conflict management there's just so much to talk about i mean we did not even touch anything about military yet right that's just a whole mm-hmm. another domain but with that uh, ben and Lucky, you have made me very happy today because uh, this conversation has been awesome. Definitely something that you know I I will, I, will, I will want to follow up with and continue the conversation. With that, everybody, thank you for listening and have an awesome, awesome AI day. <laughs>